Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss local political hot topics in the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Labonte. And I'm Tim Hannafin. And we're recording this episode of NV Politics on March 22nd, 2023. So let's get into it. Okay, so I am really excited for this week's episode because... We are um, going to be interviewing a local Nevada educator, Tony Valentine, who's been an educator for 23 years and has worked in both of Nevada's largest school districts in Washoe and Clark County. And currently she teaches at a local high school in northern Nevada. So welcome, Tony. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be on. Yeah, we're really looking forward to chatting with you today. Uh, And both Tim and I are products of the Nevada education system. I come from... As am I. Yeah, wonderful. I come... Yeah. I come from the southern part of the state for my education. And Tim comes from the northern part of Nevada, uh, from Douglas County. So we are really, really excited. Uh, So as we're jumping into it... Tony, I'd love to just have you share a little bit about your background in education with us. Well, as you said, I've been teaching for 23 years, and I am a high school English teacher currently, and I've actually taught every level of school for which I'm certified. So I started in middle schools, um, taught in high schools, I've taught a lot of electives classes, every single level of English, and I even taught for... um, Washoe High School for a while, which was a program for troubled youth, I guess is what we would call it. We used to have a place that if you weren't going to graduate through your regular high school, you could go to Washoe, but that program was over a few years ago, and so since then I've been back in the classroom in a regular high school. Well, awesome. Very nice. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Um, I like to think that an English teacher saved my life, or at least my education. God bless you. (laughs) I moved in the middle of my sixth grade year, and I went from a school in a... um, a a lower class neighborhood to, uh, we moved to the suburbs and I was extremely behind. I had no idea until I got there. And I had an English teacher who was like, you can do this. You can catch up. She gave me a bunch of stuff to do for extra credit. And I I love English and it's truly because of her. And uh, so, yeah, I have a special place in my heart for English teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as I'm sure you are aware, Tony, Nevada has been struggling at the bottom of the educational rankings for well over a decade. I mean, as far back as I can remember, honestly. And we have seen several educators join the Nevada legislature this session. Right now, as we're recording this, there are teachers in Los Angeles that are on strike uh, because they're not receiving enough pay. We have talked on this podcast many times about how educators in Nevada 
absolutely don't make enough. There's just not enough funding uh, in our education system here in Nevada. And so there's a ton happening in Nevada and beyond as it pertains to education and bringing more awareness to the necessity of improving it. And there are multiple bills currently on education that are going through the legislature. And Tim's going to rattle off a few of those for us real quick. Well, I mean, first, I just want to highlight in a prior episode, we referred to this legislative session as the session of education. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so, because not only do we have so many educators in this session, but just for the words of education alone, there are 111 different bills or bill draft requests that are in the system. Of course, we're very near the deadline. We'll talk about that later for those requests, so they might not all materialize. But there are 111. Didn't even get close into diving into what all of those are, but just some of them that I found that were, they have language to them and I think are at least relevant to talk about. You know, we have AB 42, which are regarding rules and regulations around the size of classrooms that we have. Mm -hmm. There's SB 200, which is how the state handles the education fund and allocates those funds to schools. We have AB 182, which is regarding the requirements for teachers licensing and substitute licensing for the classroom. I definitely want to talk about this one hearing you've told Miss Valentine has taught every level of her certification in English, I presume it's English. Um, yes. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So every level seventh of that, grade um, all the way to thirteenth. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I'm I'm guessing you'd want a sub that's proficient in English and not some sub like me who can barely spell. <laughs> I, just just a thought, but we'll we'll of course get into that more. Uh, we've got you know SB one forty nine, which is uh, I don't think we'll actually see any action, but we should still talk about, which is the controversial read by three bill or read by reading for proficient by mm-hmm. third grade mm-hmm. bill introduced by the. Uh, the minority party within our legislature. And then there is SB 152, which is relating to student discipline and how the, um, pretty much what some appropriate punishments are. I know that Miss Valentine has also brought some bills herself that she might want to discuss, but those were just a couple that I picked out that might be some fun things to uh, dive into. Nice. So we just threw out Uh, only a handful worth of, like Tim said, 111 uh, different bills. So I guess the first thing that I'm really interested in hearing from you, Tony, is which ones, just based on your own unique experience as an educator, do you feel are the most important right now? I easily have to say that AB 42, without a doubt, everybody who goes through education and anybody who's had any experience in a classroom knows that the size of the classroom affects your ability to teach. And I know they're talking about, I think it's 25, 25 to one in high schools. Yeah, that sounds Um, correct. I have been privileged enough to be in high school classes that were 20 to one. And they were more difficult cases and they were a joy to teach because you could interact with and catch every single child. And that's my biggest frustration as an educator is that when I'm sitting in a classroom of 40 kids, I know there is someone that is not engaged. And it's Mm -hmm. so frustrating because as many times as I move around the room, I I came up through school when there weren't even cell phones, and I am not 
anti-cell phone because as a, a teacher, you've got so much research at your hands with a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But it's not even cell phones. They can, you can stare into the distance and daydream for an hour. You can, I mean, you can just disengage. Mm-hmm. And I understand kids need time. I'm not suggesting that you would ever be in a classroom where you could pay attention all the time. That's not, that's just not possible. But if you have a classroom with 40 kids in the room, it feels like every time you up five, you lose five. Mm-hmm. And so I know that in a classroom with 20, I knew every single one of those children. I knew what was an issue if they weren't engaged for that day. There was a really good chance that I knew why. We constantly talk about social and emotional learning. I've let children sleep in my classroom who didn't get sleep the night before. And if an administrator walked through in that situation, I could take them aside and say, hey, you know, so-and-so didn't get any sleep last night. They were moving between houses. There were some difficulties. And so today's a sleep day. Tomorrow I'm going to get everything that I expect everyone else to give me today. So um, class size is just... (laughs) <laughs> so important. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things about class size is I th- I believe right now the high schools are 29 to 1. I'm not 100% sure of that number, but I know it's a reasonable sounding number. However, they count a lot of adults in the building that do not run classes. Really? So it's possible on the first day of school for me to have 40 children in my room. Wow. And what the idea is, is that as time goes on, um, I'm going to say, hey, to the counselors, I'm overwhelmed. And they're going to say, you know, we, we're going to open up a new class here. Um, they do an attendance. I don't know what the program you would call, but for the first nine weeks, we are taking attendance and then they are auditing us, you know, two or three times to find out how many kids we have in the classroom. And if at nine weeks they discover that we have way too many, then we will get another teacher. But nine weeks is really late. You've you've really spent a lot of time getting your class together. Your classroom environment is very gelled at nine weeks. And to take kids out of those rooms really messes them up. Oh, yeah. They are, you know, getting connected with their peer group, you know, and I've been pulled out of a class into another class uh, a few months in. And yeah, Yeah. I was like, but my best friends were in that class. Why'd you do that? (laughs) We were right in the middle of a project. I was working really well. It was going to be a great year. And now everything's gotten adjusted out. Yeah. So class size to me is ginormous. Yeah. Yeah. If there was a close second, what would it be? Yeah. I think it would probably have to be something that relates to getting more people in the building. And I know you mentioned a bunch about substitutes and stuff. And I know that there's a lot of uproar about letting people into a classroom that aren't qualified to teach the class. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you. And I have to tell you, I have nightmares about it every year before school begins that Somebody's made a mistake and I'm going to be teaching advanced biology or I'm going to be teaching some (laughs) math class that I'm absolutely not qualified to teach. And within the last two years, I have substituted in those classrooms. Wow. Um, The reality is, is that a very good teacher, especially in 2023, only needs a babysitter. They've set everything up on teams. There's 
interactive films. There's quizzes the children can take. They work. When I go into those AP bio classes, I go in, I read the directions that the teacher has left. This is what the teacher has said for you. If they have questions, I read the directions again. Let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, I am just a human being breathing in the room. And so you'd think that you would want somebody that's really qualified to teach. But the reality of the matter is, is that sometimes just having a kind, caring human being in the room who's willing to walk around and help Mm -hmm. is huge. No, I can't help you with your mouth today, but, you know, (laughs) I can find somebody who can help you. And, And being comfortable enough to say, who in this room knows how to do this thing? Yeah. So I, I actually do want to just ask a follow-up because I was going through school at the cusp of technology. So I definitely understand the whole like, oh, some of my, my AP classes, we were self-sufficient. We had a sub and like I was a TA for one of those teachers. Oh, yeah. And her normal classes... It was just a, a film in the a film in the projector, you know, or in the TV. That's all they did for the day, and that was her normal classes. I was a TA for her, but in the AP classes, we were doing problems all day. We came in, we were hauling, and that was before technology. So I can just imagine yeah. it's greater now. But are you seeing that in your average bio classes and your average math classes? Is that in every classroom or is it just in the advanced classroom? Well, classrooms? after COVID, we, it was mandated that we were okay. going to be technological. That's wow. it. You're going okay. to teach online. Mm-hmm. And so teachers went from zero to 100 in a very few short months. And so like today, um, we're sitting here talking. I've got my camera set up in a corner of a room because I spent – months teaching zoom classes and looking at my reflection and thinking i don't know how to set up a camera properly i need to set this up differently so it's we're all aware that when we're not there the first place the students are going to go this year is microsoft teams okay. yeah um for us although Hopefully the district this podcast is, isn't giving you ptsd <laughs> well and the other thing is is that the district is moving to canva okay um And I don't have PTSD for that. But the problem is, is that, as you know, there's so much technology. My biggest problem with it is, is that um, I want to run a class and then my student can't get access because they're trying to use an iPad Mm -hmm. and it doesn't like the Microsoft programming. And the only thing that gets in my way is that sometimes the district locks everything else out. We're not Mm -hmm. using this any longer. We just signed a contract with these guys. We're moving to that. Now I need to learn a brand new system. I need to figure out how I can help a kid with an iPad access it. I can, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's an extra tech job that I don't necessarily want to do. It's a, an additional and unique hurdle <laughs> to add yes. on top of the already existing issues uh, in our teaching, Nevada education yes. system. Yeah. If there, if there were any changes that you would like to see or any policies that you'd like to see put forward, you know, separate of something trying to get more people into the classroom, because I think we, we definitely covered that one, but would there be any other big policies that you'd want to see changed or maybe pushed forward or, or hear about that's in a bill we haven't talked about? There isn't one in a bill, but there is one that is my personal private mantra. Teaching for the last, well, for my whole lifetime at least, has been based on teachers working extreme extra hours. Mm -hmm. 
And so there is not the ability in today's education for a teacher to get up in the morning and go to school and teach the class and do the things that they are required to do and go home and not think about teaching again. And so the assumption is, is that you will do extra time. You will put in extra hours. And there have been programs within the last few years where if your school writes a grant, they can get you some extra pay. Um, I don't know how that's working in the middle school or the high school, but I know my high school has been really awesome about we want to do some planning. Can we do this on a Saturday that isn't a regular time? But it's absolutely sitting on the back of people that put in all sorts of extra time. And it's never written into the bills, the fact that everything that gets added gets added to that workload. And so data is a really popular word today. We want to collect data. We want to look and see what the students are doing and where they're succeeding. And COVID really messed up a lot of tests because it was impossible to test those students the way we had in the past. And so after now three years, we're working a lot of tests back in. But there is even a bill where teachers are saying testing is not the best method it's just so much data collection, and they never, ever hire somebody to do that job. And I'm not suggesting that there are quite a few bills I noticed, because I looked at at least 100 of them, that say we want a new board put together, and we want a new group of folks that are going to sit and do this thing. But all of them were to collect information, and what it did not acknowledge is that that data is collected by teachers and by mm -hmm. schools. And so every time you add something like that to my day, I'm not grading and I'm not lesson planning and I'm not working with a student. Right. I'm just putting together an Excel spreadsheet or I'm just giving you evidence of how many times that I've reached out and spoken to parents. And as a professional, that's part of my job. Mm -hmm. It would be, it feels kind of micromanagey when they say, we'd like to know how many times you do this. Sure. We'd like to see... How many times your school has done this thing? And it, I don't think it always gets the information that they want. What, for you, you know, what would be the solve for that? I, I really thought about this because I sat and looked at it and I thought, you know, 20 years ago when I was doing this, my review with my principal was a real basic, he came into the classroom excuse me, she came into the classroom, she would sit down, she would observe me, she would talk to me a few times about difficulties that I was having, and then we would have a review where she would say, this is what I saw you doing, this is what I saw you doing effectively, these are some things that I think you could work on in the future. Mm -hmm. My review every year now is hours of me writing a lesson plan that includes data collection, me going to a specific website and inputting every single student that I will be giving a benchmark or a baseline assessment to, and then writing down what I will be teaching for six weeks to prove that I've taught that thing, and then giving them that final assessment, and then going back and redoing all of that, that information. And then I have to have a pre-meeting and a post-meeting, and it's me and my administrator spending hours talking about did you teach students this one specific skill? Wow. And it's been very frustrating for me. Those are called SLOs since the day they came in because 
we're professionals. We're doing what we need to do. And yeah, you can do this with a math class where you say, I want to teach this specific skill and it's not a big deal. But for English at a senior level, Mm -hmm. the standards say, use the stuff that you've been using for the last 12 years. And so there is, I mean, unless I'm teaching vocabulary, it's really difficult for me to say, I'm going to teach the kids how to write a paper this specific way. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see it. And I've been asking the question over and over again to math and science folk, how can I do this so that I'm showing genuine growth and that I'm not, that it's real, it's meaningful and it's useful to me. And I haven't gotten an answer yet Wow. from any of them. So I'm frustrated by how much data collection that we do so that people can put it together and say, okay, well, the the schools need this or the schools are doing this. When I could tell you that Mm -hmm. without that report. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if this would be any help, but I just thought back to in like the exact classes where I actually had to write specific types of essays and they might change per year of year were my history classes. So I don't know if it's of any help. And if you want the unsolicited (laughs) advice, ask the history department. They might have something or if you have already. (laughs) They might have more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They they usually base it on skills. Yeah, it's like yeah, they usually I, base it on evidence and dates and times. Yeah, I mean, like I, because it, it's it history is closer to write English to me, I would think, than yes. math or science. So I don't know, like absolutely, ugh, the, that's just the one area. I'm like, and gosh, I I just want to interject this before we even go to the next question, but it seems like there is a a, a reoccurring theme that I'm hearing where it is a corporatizing of our education system because a lot of what, what a you're beautiful des- way to say that yeah, a lot of what you're describing and a lot of what you're you're just saying are issues and things that i keep hearing from everyone in the corporate world and all these articles that i keep reading about you know how you know companies changed even just in light of covid and how there are now full industries dedicated to mouse jigglers where it just moves yes. your mouse ever so slightly to make sure that your teams doesn't go inactive. Well, and here's the thing that you don't think about in education. We are absolutely a corporation, and my job is to teach. But all of those things, because I worked in business for 13 years, all of those things that in business there would have been an administrative staff mm-hmm. and there would have been mm-hmm. receptionists and there would have been folks that crunched the numbers, the schools don't have those. When my administrator is working on crunching numbers, he's not in the halls interacting with students, making sure that everybody is safe and where they're supposed to be. And so you take people who really, really want to be in those halls, talking to the kids and making sure that the problems are solved and that, you know, they're seeing the things that need to happen in the classrooms and they don't have the time to go do that. Yeah, and it sounds like the schools are just constantly tapping into the same resource, which is the teachers, which are the teachers. And in all reality, you need some operations team of sorts, right? Absolutely. They could be doing this administrative work or data analysis and capturing and all of that. Yeah, so it, it sounds like the data is there. They just need to have a contract or a group or a party that's actually looking at the data outside of you know, the school administration and, you know, just... Or better yet, going to the professional who got a license and spent years in school. And when the teacher tells you, this is a problem in my classroom, trying to solve that one problem, because data's great, but by the time you've collected data and you've actually done something with the data, a few months have passed. 
I yeah. only have nine months with my kid. And at the end of those nine months, they move on to another class, they move on to another year. And if it's taken that long for me to get a response, it's too late for him totally. or it's too late for her. I can't help them. It needs to be much faster. And the only way to make it much faster would be to let those people within the schools move a little faster. Yeah. And also it sounds like have a partnership, right? Like you've already described that you know your students really well. You're taking that time. So while these data people, they're going to get that quantitative data, you've got that qualitative data and you just find a way to merge the two and move fast, right? And um, although I don't know anything that moves fast um, <laughs> in education or government or any of or those Or corporations, things. no. Yeah, yes. It's just bureaucracy. It's great. As we were considering our, our time with you, I was wondering, for our listeners, what do you as an educator feel that the general public, Nevadans, should know when it comes to education that might help bring overall improvement if more people had an awareness of it? We get into teaching because we like working with those children. We're not there for the accolades or a big paycheck or the glory. It's because there's something in us that like sitting in a room of teenagers that nobody else can understand and talking about new and interesting ideas and introducing them. If we could all just understand that we're all part of Team Johnny, that the political system has made us so divisive Mm -hmm. that I, I don't know when I'm going into a parent-teacher conference anymore whether I'm the enemy or not. And it, that's a horrible thing to feel. But you do walk into some meetings and you are absolutely the enemy. And like in my case, I'm a senior teacher. I am the end result of 13 years of school. If you had a horrible middle school English teacher or a horrible ninth grade English teacher, um, I could be the absolute stereotype of your nightmares. And I spend so much, I mean, I look like an English teacher. I spend so much of my time trying to explain to people that you can learn bad and good things from people around you. And if you had somebody in your past that was evil to you, please do not take that out on me. Let's work together and try to find you a way to get what you need to get done. And I I believe without being too egotistical that I've been somewhat successful with that. For that reason, I'm not as snobbish about like who's in the classroom. I think that if more people could just be in a classroom, volunteer even, and come in and have two or three adults moving around and interacting with the kids, they would see this is something that has value. This is something that maybe I'm not reading a story you like. Let's talk about what you don't like about it. Let's have a free and open debate about it. And I've had some of those. But it's just so frustrating now that it's really scary when you open a subject that it's possible that you're going to be just absolutely run over the grill for what kind of idiot are you to think that that was appropriate for a high school class? Mm-hmm. And having conversations with students um, can be petrifying because you don't know whether somebody is trying to get you. And I hate using that phrase, but it, the, the reality is, is that some people don't value education or they don't value your classroom or, you know, they're just letting their kids go to school because they know their kids, kids need to get a high school diploma 
But I'm preparing kids for jobs. I'm preparing kids for customer service. I'm preparing kids for very liberal colleges. Um, They need to be ready to deal with those different environments. They need to be able to interact with people they don't understand and to work with them or to at least understand why they don't work well with them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really difficult. Overall, it sounds like you just want people to know that you teachers, you are there because you genuinely want to see students succeed. Yeah. And yes. I, I find it unfortunate that that is not obvious, <laughs> you know, just based on everything you go through as an educator. Um, but no, I really appreciate that, that share and that vulnerability. And um, hopefully more people wake up and, and realize that what you do is so challenging and thankless, uh, you know, in a lot of sense, I think from, from many parents, but hopefully, I mean, I'm sure you're impacting so many students' lives, Uh, like the story I shared earlier, right? So, yeah. Well, as to thankless, there's no high school teacher on the planet that gets in there because they know the teacher, the kids are going to cheer when you introduce the next (laughs) subject. That is not (laughs) going to happen. So it's just that they, we, we could all work together more. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't understand why it's being done, you should probably ask the teacher. And possibly that teacher doesn't believe in the same systems that you do. Yeah. And maybe then you need to go to an administrator and say, I would like my child to be in a classroom with more of my own systems. But if that's not possible, then find a way to still work with that teacher you know, who would like to get your student through whatever grade it is they're, they're in and improve in some way. Yeah, and I, I just want to highlight before we go on to the next question, there's a reason why most of the educators in our state legislature have not quit being educators. They're just on a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. Despite, I'll get into this later, 75% of their time being spent in the legislature, they're still wanting to teach. They're not wanting mm-hmm. to, to quit teaching. They're they're there because they want to serve and they're only legislatures because they want to advocate for themselves. It's very yeah, funny to, to listen to that. They want to change the system. <laughs> yeah. They, they, well, and you had already mentioned that you took AP classes. I'm not an AP teacher. That is not my audience. My audience are students that struggle and need a little more helping hand and possibly are not at grade level at the beginning of a school year. And it's real possible that I'm not going to get them to grade level by the end of a school year. But I'm really good at working with them and getting them to believe in themselves a little bit. Um, There are amazing teachers out there that are are good at AP. And so as a teacher, you really need to find what you're good at and then hopefully be supported enough by the parents and the administration. You have to find the right school. That's even harder. And then not be pitted against each other because, you know, AP teachers are saying, what are you doing in your classroom? I'm doing what my kids can do in this classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing yeah. what your kids can do in this classroom. And maybe your AP kids could come and help tutor my kids and yeah. they would all get along and then the school would be happier. Yeah, I think AP or not, yeah, belief, belief has to be that foundation, right, that you can get them to that next level. Yeah, and I mean, that's, it's a very valid point that you're making. And it, you know, no matter what the level of teaching, I think every teacher I've ever talked to, again, they're all beyond dedicated and they're all just, they're in it to, to teach and to help and to, you know, boost everyone up. So yeah, very, 
very true. And the final one was one that I, I just wanted to ask because I've been itching in this and this has been eating away at me for a little while. I am officially nine years out of our education system. And yet increasingly, I've been reading about behavioral issues both within and outside of the classroom. And I had my, I witnessed my own share back in my day, again, nine years ago, not too far, just like there was, I, you know, there were fighting matches, not really fighting matches, but like boxing matches in my middle school lunchroom bathroom, like consensual where kids were just going in and they wanted to beat up on each other. And like, they were getting in trouble for it, but they were like, well, I mean, we just, we wanted to do it. Like, it's weird. I don't, I don't get it. But despite that, I'm hearing they're getting a lot worse. There's a lot more going on. There are more fights. There's more just issues of students attacking teachers. And from the teacher's perspective, do you hear of the school districts or the state or, you know, the Department of Education doing anything for you guys to address this? Is there anything coming through the pipelines? And is it even enough or is there more that needs to be done? Well, (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> That's such a big question. That's another entire podcast. Um, I, it feels like, and this is my opinion, it feels like we are being asked to deal with it as we do. Figure out what the problem is. The, the problem with solving that is that there are so many things that are entering into it. Our city is growing exponentially. I mean, the amount of apartments around is mind-blowing. And there are not new schools being built at that speed. They're building new elementaries and new middle schools, and no new high schools have been added to that lovely list. So I'm hoping that they're planning on building some new high schools soon because they're desperately, desperately in need. Part of it is numbers. Part of it is we have a gang problem in Reno, and it feels like it's getting a little worse And in those schools where you've got problems like that, those kids come to school. Uh, Working in Las Vegas, we would have training at the beginning of every school year about how to de-escalate situations because they knew there were two different gangs in your school. And I actually did teach at a high school that was inner city. And so they would have many, many more hall monitors and police per high school I'm not sure that that's the answer. I know there need to be more adults. I feel like if we were having gang problems and we would allow just the right number of grandmas in, it would stop. You know, I don't think they would fight in front of those people. I think that if those people were walking around the halls and saying, how are you, dear, and did you eat breakfast? And I know that seems simplistic, but it's that's the answer. That's great. That's a great, yeah. You know, if you could have more adults in the building that are taking care of the kids, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they need to be certified. I feel like they need to be vetted very carefully so that we're not getting people in that are dangerous. But I feel like you should be able to volunteer at a high school or volunteer at a middle school and walk around and, you know, play ball with them and ask them how they're doing. I think that if more adults were connecting with them and saying, what can I do to help you? Um, they would be less likely to do those things. And as relates to the district helping us, yes, they are talking about things. But, you know, the problem in Washoe County, the problem at Wooster is not the problem at Damani Ranch, is not the problem at Galena, is mm-hmm. not the problem at Hug, is not the problem at Sparks High School. 
each school is a microcosm of its neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so the problem is local and it has to be solved locally. And that's the big problem. Excuse the pun, but um, that's the the huge problem is is that then the superintendent tries to say, what can I do to fix this this everywhere? And it's not the same answer everywhere. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Got to be localized. And I, I do just want to interject as the politician. Um, I know that we have an increasing problem of retirement and retirement age in our country. So I don't think that they should be volunteered grandmas walking around our school hallways. I think we should pay them. I think we yeah. should be giving them benefits. They don't need to be volunteers. Like, let's put them on the I payroll. I just mean they don't need to be certified. They oh, don't yeah, have to have yeah. a licensure. <laughs> you know, if you can say I raised all my kids and I would like to come back and make sure that they're eating their lunch, I think that's qualification right there. Just make sure you haven't haven't got any felonies yeah, and we're pa good pass the background check go through the general stuff but yeah no like let's pay him let's get him on the payroll sorry that's just the the politician yeah, me like some caring individuals oh, there yeah yeah let's let's get him some good pay yeah why not and it would be awesome if college students could come back and help mm -hmm. yeah one of the problems we have in I, i'm not sure that that's a problem but i know that we have a lot of white middle class teachers mm -hmm. and we have a lot of students that aren't, and they need to be represented in their teachers. We need more minority teachers. We need every person to be represented. And if if you want people to be teachers, you need to let them come into schools and see what it's like. They can't just take what horrible high school situation they had and carry that with them. They need to come back and look at it as an adult and see if it's something they want to do. And that. students are glorious. Yeah. They're wonderful people. Oh, yeah. Well, and yeah, just, just even thinking about it, like being able to see different high schools as a high schooler was eye-opening because I was just being able to travel around and I was like, wow, they have lockers? Like, wow, this school has a second floor? What is this? Like, it was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, all right. We won't take any more of your time, Tony, but I want to again say yes. thank you so, so much for just giving us some time this evening uh, and letting us ask you some questions. And we wanted to get the real life answers out to our listeners around education, since it is a topic that it comes up constantly. It's, it's such a big issue in Nevada. And I just, again, want to say thank you so much for giving us these really honest, transparent responses yeah. just around our education system and what it might look like to improve it. So thank yeah. you again. It would be super awesome if you could get somebody else in the state because we are so diverse, yeah. Nevada, yeah. and we're so amazing, and we could work together. We could do some amazing things. I, I might know some other teachers in some other areas. I'll, I'll ask around. Thank you so much for having oh, yeah. me. Yes, thank you. thank you again. We'll jump into the break the brain. Um, I'll, I'll go first. What broke your brain? It was on Monday of this week that I read it was a tweet. It wasn't even a full news article, but it started as a tweet from a reporter from the Nevada Independent where he was saying that he was just spoken to the legislative leadership on how they were going to extend the bill deadline for that was approaching that same day. Essentially, at the beginning of this week was the last day that bills could be read and introduced mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. a bill draft request to an actual bill on the Senate mm -hmm. floor. 
to what I can find, because I'm not even sure on this, it's been extended to Friday. Okay, so like a week? I don't even know. I, yeah, it's extended okay. a week. I don't even know when it's been extended to, because I went down a far deeper rabbit hole. It initially broke my brain because I was like, wait, what do you mean? Our legislators aren't doing their job? Like, they have one job. It's to go there and pass <laughs> legislation. Why aren't they <laughs> passing the legislation? Mm-hmm. So then I looked into how does a BDR become a law? And as it turns out, all the legislator really does is request the BDR from legislative affairs and our like legal department in our legislature. And then the legal department is the one who actually researches and drafts the bill to then give it back to the, the legislator who asked for it for them to introduce. So So where's it getting held up? I don't know that either. (laughs) One point okay. where it at least could be held up is the fact that we don't have as many lawyers writing the bills. Mm. It's it's a great job to be able to say, yes, I wrote this law. And like it's a great thing for lawyers, but it doesn't pay very well. And law mm-hmm. firms in our own state are paying much higher wages for these lawyers to work what, for them. Tim, are and- you saying that our government doesn't pay our yeah, or, people much? Yeah, government. our government doesn't pay... <laughs> People snot. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't pay them anything. Our government just raised their minimum wage to $12. Hello? Hello? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I know. Sorry, I'm getting too far off topic. (laughs) We don't pay them enough. They're getting drawn to other other firms to either lobby or work for them, blah, blah, blah. So it could be just there aren't enough people to physically write the bill drafts. So then it could be, oh, you get the bill draft and you don't like it, or you're just not submitting it because you know it's not going to go anywhere. I then looked into, well, how many times have we extended this? Because I've been, I hear that our our legislative system is rife with inefficiencies. What's going on here? <laughs> and then I learned, well, it's uh, it's only been for about the last two sessions or so that it's been extended. The hmm. ones prior to that. Uh, prior to COVID weren't mm-hmm. extended at all. They were actually just solid through. Interesting. But, but then there's the other fact of even with that, it's still about a 50% pass rate. So even on sure. those years that we didn't extend it, only 50% of the bills that were initially like requested were even introduced. Okay. Let alone how many actually made it out of the legislature after that. I don't know why I feel like that's actually statistically high. Because... Don't bills actually passing? It's it's actually a, a pretty small percentage, right? That actually make it all the way through. But again, I'm not talking about making it all the way through. I'm just talking about making it from the idea <laughs> to the actual language phase. To being introduced. Yeah, to being introduced. We're not talking about the voting. We're not talking about all that. Mm. I'm just talking about the fact that okay, okay. we're not getting the actual <laughs> bills to even debate them. Wow. Like that process. So it's only okay. about a 50% like, oh, I want to debate this to actually getting it somewhere to talk about. And that's not then even... what are they doing? Well, are there just too many? Now, are there now t- this like, is... Do they want to make so, so much change and this that is there's where, not enough time? This is why my brain is so broken. And this is why I just want to present all this info because I don't, do I don't actually know what the problem <laughs> is. Okay. But we know that we haven't had too many extensions. So then I went down to the next little rabbit hole of like, well, okay, is our, are they just inefficient? And then I looked at our special sessions. So okay. first, I just want to talk about... that was during COVID, right? No, 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 I thought the special session was called... No, 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 no. So I will then start with this info because I wasn't even going to start with this. 
Since the founding of our state in 1864, the first special session of our legislature was called in 1867, and since we've had a total of 33 called, some of the most recent being during the COVID pandemic. So after the very first legislative session, we immediately went into a special session? (laughs) A couple years apart, but yeah, probably. We immediately went into one. So there have been 33 in total. Now, remember that number. We've had 33 special sessions. It's going to hurt. I mean, it's going to hurt my brain having to try to math, but continue. Don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll have it to It's a different reference. kind of break yeah. in my brain. So in almost all of the most recent special sessions, and when I say most recent, I only went back to like 2008 or 2007 because I couldn't click and process that much data that fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. All of them at least had to do with the general fund and how money was allocated in our state. Either a reallocation, the fact that we spent too much money in an area, or we, we allocated too much money and we have some left over and we got to reallocate it, whatever. It all has to do with money every single time. We couldn't figure out our general fund, Tim? Either we could figure it out <laughs> or we figured it out and we figured it out wrong and we have to readdress it. This is a very reoccurring problem. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they pretty much can only meet for, and this gets into a lot of laws, and I'm not going to dive into the nuances of this, but they can generally only meet for 20 days at most at the governor's discretion on topics that the governor specifically needs to discuss. So outside of those things, they're not talking about it, but they're almost all about money still. So they're all about general fund. Are we not efficient in doing it in the general fund? So then I started to look at why our legislation only meets every other year. Okay. And this is where uh, my rabbit hole gets... I, the I biennium Yeah, the, the biennial thing. This is where my rabbit hole, I just, I kind of okay. lose it a little bit. <laughs> um, so in 1960, the general populace voted to pass a change to our legislature saying that we were going to go to a biennial legislature. Because prior to that, we were annual for one legislature. Because so, in, okay, ni- yeah. in 1958, we passed it to be annual. Okay. And then we passed it back to be biennial because they didn't want to meet any year or blah, blah, blah. I didn't have enough time to read into that full history. People just not like each other? I don't know. They needed a two-year or a year break in between? Yeah, I I don't know. But then I crunched some more numbers, all right? So we've had 33 special sessions in our entire state history. Mm -hmm. And we've had 24 since 1960 when we fully committed to this biennial thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, okay. Yep, now, okay. I, yeah. I didn't have to do a lot of math there and that made this easier because, so what you're saying is there were more special sessions than regular sessions. Uh, 24 cents. No, no, no. There wouldn't be more because there's a special session every two years. So since uh-huh. 1960, we've had to call 24 special sessions. So that's okay. approximately... Every two sessions, we have to call one. And that it's oh not my. exactly, but... But still. Because it's there have been about 60-some-odd years. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, no. I'm doing the math <laughs> real time. Yeah, hey, hey, you're breaking the brain even more because I was already all broken right. prior, where it's like, yeah, okay. we've had to pretty much call one every single year after. So biennial 
sessions it aren't working. It doesn't work for us, or at least it's not working in our modern region. Now, we are one of four states left that meet biennial. Red flag. One of four. <laughs> okay? One's like North Dakota. Yikes. They have one congressional district, for crying out loud. Okay? I'm sorry, but we need to, we need to update this. Yes, we um, do. What we currently have going on is there is at least a bill in our current legislature, AB 200, which mm -hmm. would limit the amount of BDRs that can be brought forward in our legislature. So it would limit the amount of bills that could even be like asked to be introduced. So we might see the number of overall bills decrease. So that we have less work so that we don't have to keep extending our sessions. I... I do you want to know how we, many? Do you want to know how many times we've extended <laughs> our sessions? Because I can answer that. Yeah, we don't because it's hard written into our constitution. Uh, it ends at 120 days. Okay. Our our legislature is really firm on that, and they mm -hmm. do not go through the process or the rules of extending past that 120 because it's such a like an order to do that. They just yeah. uh, they just cut it out. They just end it. It's a very horrible day, and I've heard the stories. They hate that last week because it's so busy, and they're working 22-hour days. I'm not kidding you. Clearly, this is not working. It isn't. <laughs> so I, I'm going to end on this note because this is where it's like I finally broke my brain on this, and I'm like, this just doesn't f make sense to me. So Don't tell me there's more. Our legislature is paid for 60 days. Yes. And our session only lasts 120 days, guaranteed. Yes. And yep. it only meets every two years. Mm -hmm. So that means that they are working or they're getting paid for 60 out of 720 days. Mm -hmm. And they're working arguably 120 out of those 720 days. Mm -hmm. Nevada's legislature is rated to be 74% full-time. So 74% of a full-time job they are spending just in the legislature. So say wow. they have a full-time job on top of that, they're now doing mm -hmm. 1.75 of a job. Yikes. But they're only supposed to be working 120 days of 720. It's a joke. We're not considered a part-time legislature. I just, that, that's my final thought. Yeah, my brain's broken, and I feel that if I comment on it anymore, I will say... Some bad words. <laughs> I mean, so, you, you've got you've got the editing of power. You've got the bleep button. Hey, that's true. But that's like, true. I mean, it's no, it's definitely you, brain yeah, breaking, it, and it's clearly not working when you have educators going on leave of absences to try to make change in the tightest window uh, to do it. Uh, it's it's laughable, right? I, I think we can do a better job of. Setting our state up for success, I guess, you know, it's uh, it's a brain breaker for sure. I'm going to jump into mine. I'm keeping my promise from last week. I'm not even going to say the <laughs> F word today. And we are going to jump into... It's Florida, by the way. <laughs> that is the F word, yeah. So I'm going to jump into what broke my brain this week. I did go back and forth potentially on uh, my topic this week. And initially, I was leaning towards piecing together several audio clips of Trump saying, I'm the president of law and order <laughs> in honor of his indictment potentially happening. But I, uh, I decided not See, to go yeah, with that. But, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not surprised <laughs> by any of that because the instant that 
and this is just from my knowledge of how Capitol Hill works, but the instant you read Secret Service or Capitol Police, um, anything that you think and know about how things work changes, goes out the window, and is no longer yep. applicable because they uh, operate as law enforcement, like law enforcement, but entirely different. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite fascinating to watch, see, and hear. Yes, yes, it is. It's so yeah, he, his indictment's going to be far different than anyone can predict because Secret yeah. Service is involved. I agree. Okay, you kind of saw me going through it in real time, and um, this is this is just something that happened to me personally and uh, caused my brain to break. This is not news or events out in the world, but it sent me down a rabbit hole. And I'm going to break it down for you here. Okay. So my question, my break my brain is essentially a question. Why is there no salutation for a woman married to a woman? Okay. So here's the background. I got an email. It was addressed to me as Mrs. Labonte. I'm married. I'm married to a woman. And hey, I was glad that the person who sent me this email did their homework and actually researched my background and learned that I was married because I don't think I told them that. And they attempted to uh, acknowledge me in the appropriate manner by referring to me as Mrs. And I don't know why this really broke my brain because I've been married for over three years now. This is not new. I'm not a new Mrs. But I had this thought when I looked at this email, and that was, where? (laughs) Are you a missus? (laughs) Are you actually a missus? Yeah. So my initial thinking was that missus comes from mister, right? So representing being married to a mister. But in my case, since there is no mister involved in my situation, why am I a missus? And so I was wondering, I went then to another level. Is there a unique salutation for women who are married to another woman in the queer community that I'm unaware of? I don't know. I did a ton of Googling, okay? And I just kept coming back to a married woman is a missus. That's how it's categorized. Doesn't matter who you're married to, you're a missus. And it appears that that's what the world has decided. But then I found more background information about the concept of Mr. and Mrs. and where it came from. So I found it on Britannica.com. And it turns out that it was worse than I ever expected. <laughs> I'm about I'd, to believe tell you that. I'd believe that. <laughs> we live in a world of the patriarchy. <laughs> Hate to hate to admit it, but okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. So apparently, Mister actually originally was an abbreviation for Master, not Mister. Mrs. was an abbreviation for Mistress or the Master's counterpart. So apparently, in the 1800s, a mistress actually referred to a woman in an upper social echelon, which doesn't sound too bad until you learn that she likely had slaves or servants. So that's fun. Here I was thinking, I'm in a battle against the patriarchy, which I am. But as it turns out, 
also against racism. (laughs) So I'm kind of back where I started because I don't have a master, a mister, or slaves, and I just really think we should nuke these old-timey salutations altogether. And if any of our listeners do know of a more relevant term for missus, for a woman married to a woman, and I'm not informed please email me hello at nvpoliticspodcast.com. That's my broke my brain. Hey, you. Um, <laughs> hey, you person. Hey, it's like yeah. I don't... In modern society, there lacks a different way to formally introduce people. And that's mm-hmm. where it, 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 it becomes difficult because we have to acknowledge where the term comes from. But I also want to at least interject that we have to acknowledge that terms can change. Yep. Symbols can change. And we've seen it time and time again with reclamations of good images turn bad. And I would argue some communities are trying to turn bad terms good. But the word queer, the the word queer in itself, when we were, we reclaimed that word. I was like, this is really cool. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like there's uh, definitions can change and things Mm -hmm. can change and we can still use something without formally or like while formally acknowledging it came from bad places. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have to make this argument with music from time to time because there are a lot of people that will be like, oh, I hate this artist. And it's like, okay, but you still might be able to appreciate the art that they made for how it contributed to the art form overall or how it changed the overall scheme of things and still say that that person sucked as a person and (laughs) their morals were horrible. Like you can, I still firmly believe that you can do that. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I don't necessarily know if that's the answer here because I don't know what the answer is, <laughs> but I just at least want to interject that of like, let's not totally bash it out because it came from horrible places. Cause I mean, what's the alternative right now? Like, Hey, yo, you Labonte, like, I yeah, I, I mean, Hey, <laughs> like there's misses, but then what are we supposed to call the dudes? Like, cause I get dudes. that MS Call might... me a dude. I'm <laughs> good. <laughs> okay. It's like, again, it's definitely a brain breaker and that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think our there brains no are yeah. sufficiently broken. Oh yeah. And uh, we should wrap this up. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening this week. Hear us next week. Same place, different topics. Please listen. Give us a subscribe. Hit the like button if that exists and uh, hear us next week. Bye. Hear us next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>